0: We're going to turn to Psalm 90 this morning (coughs) for our Bible reading, and I'm going to ask Bethany to come and to read for us this morning. So, Psalm 90.
1: Psalm chapter 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen.
0: Super. Well, if you would like to open your Bibles with me to Psalm 90 this morning, the Psalm 90. As we start our series, thinking about the attributes of God, discovering God, uh, and thinking about who He is like, and, and so as we begin this series, we're thinking about various aspects of God's character uh, across the summer in our morning series, and, and we'll come to uh, various different topics. But as we do this, uh, what we want to make sure that we are not doing is that we're not separating out God uh, as if He were uh, all different. Uh, little diamonds, and we're we're separating them out. Instead, what I want us to think about it like is that God is one great diamond, one huge diamond, and as we look at his attributes, it's as if we are studying one particular corner of that diamond. So as we look at it, we see it, we look at the beauty of it, we see how it glistens and sparkles, uh, and then the next week, as it were, we, we turn the diamond around, or we look at it from a slightly different perspective. So we're not separating him out. But instead, we're just looking at them from different angles. Now, as we come to this, why, why are we studying this? Why are we looking at the attributes of God? Well, over recent years, the, the doctrine of God, who He is, has kind of fallen out of Christian vogue, if you like. Uh, and people don't know really who God is, especially whenever it comes to big things like God being eternal and other attributes that we will look at. And so, there's a guy called Matthew Barrett, he's written a book, None Greater, and and this quote I found really, really helpful as I prepared for this. He says this, he's talking about how how the, the world has moved away, or the church has moved away from thinking about God and the doctrine of God, and he says this, Is it any wonder that our churches have a big heart for ministry, but look almost anemic when asked about the big God that we claim to worship? So we're, we're raring to go in many ways. There's, there's lots of things that we want to do. We want to get stuck into ministry. We want to do, do, do. But actually, whenever it starts to, and whenever we start to think about the big God that we claim to worship, we really struggle. We really struggle to take a big truth and to apply it into our hearts and into our lives to, to understand how that changes us. And so as we look at this today and as we look at God being eternal, we, we want to know who our God is we want to ask the question, are we familiar with his character? Because when suffering pulls into our driveway and that visitor is coming sooner or later and the guests of sorrow and trouble arrive and get out of that car and come into our homes, what do we need to know then? But we need to know. We need to know things like God is eternal, and we need to know the difference that that makes in our lives. And as we look at this doctrine, perhaps this morning you think, doctrine, this is really heavy. You hear that word and instantly you just want to flick the switch off in your head. Well, doctrine should always lead us into what we say is doxology, into praise. As we look at God's character, this should instantly lead us to praise Him. As we see the one who is not like us, yet loves us, we should be caught up in praise. So whenever we say that phrase, God is eternal, or uh, the everlasting God, often we use it in our prayers. What does it really mean? What does that phrase mean? What significance does it have for us here today? Well, two points for us, and they're taken from that verse. I'm going to use the the verse that we uh, had as our call to worship to be our points. So the first is simply this, The eternal God is our refuge. The eternal God is our refuge. Look at how Psalm 90 begins. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. The truth that the psalmist hits us with right at the beginning of Psalm 90 is lifted from where? It's lifted right from Genesis 1, isn't it? In the beginning, God. God was there. God created the heavens and the earth. And so it's important for us to to know in our vocabulary vocabulary, that there was never a time that God was not. He has always existed, and He will always exist. In the beginning, God was there. The eternal God is our refuge. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Humanity has dwelt with God through every generation from everlasting to everlasting, verse 2. You are God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what's man like? We'll look at verse 3. You see, we are not like him. Verse 3, you return to dust. We become nothing. We pass from this world but God, He's not like us. He's different than us. Now, why? Why is this attribute that God is eternal? Why is it that we start here? Well, because this impacts everything else that we know about God. You see, if God is not eternal, if this, if this falls apart, if God has an end date, if He expires at a certain point, then everything else that we believe about God falls through our hands. It, it, it just passes from us. Whenever we talk about God being love, it, it'll just slip through our fingers. It'll wash through our hearts. It, it'll not stick. Because it would mean that His love would run dry if God is not eternal, then it means that His mercy would end at some point. His goodness would stop. And God would be like a cistern, a cistern that would be limited, but instead we know that He is a, he's a fountainhead from whom all blessings flow, and from which He will never dry up start to see the the conclusions of this, the ramifications of this. God's perfection would not be perfect. Instead, he would be imperfect if he was not eternal. He would be limited. He would be bound. He would be destined to end in nothing, and therefore us along with him. But the fact that God is eternal. That he he has uh, been from everlasting and will be to everlasting. That gives us great hope. That means that he is in a state without limit. And so we can join with the psalmist in Psalm 145 whenever he says this. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. We cannot reach the end of him. No searching or counting or full examination will ever help us to reach the end of him. He is glorious and exalted above. We cannot measure the measureless one, says Calvin. And so this is, this is tricky. I know for us that this is hard to begin with, but we're getting these big blocks into place. He's eternal. He has always been from the beginning. He was always there. There was never a time when God was not. Now, what we also need to say is that God is in control of time. I wonder if you ever thought about that. He's in control of time. We often talk about giving God our time, but actually He's the one who's in control of time. It says it very plainly and simply in in Psalm 90. Look at verse 5. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers for we are brought to an end by your anger. It's the Lord who sits over time. He's in control of time. He has laid the foundations of the world, and they will perish, but he will remain. So, God is sovereign over time, not subject to it. And then God is outside of time, now, this is where things start to get a little bit tricky for us, because to imagine that, to try and get our heads around God being outside of time is, is also a very uh, uh, big stretch, isn't it? But God is outside of time. Eternity is a perpetual duration, which Charnock says, hath neither beginning nor end, and time has both. Time has a beginning and an end, and God sits outside of that. He sits outside of time, because in Him is life. He is who He is. He's independent. He's not bound by time. If He's inside time, He's bound by it. But He's outside of time, and therefore He's Lord over it. Time has no impact upon our God. Now, how do we know that? Well, look at the very image that sits before us here at the front of church, the the burning bush. What do we see in the burning bush? We see that God is life. And how do we know that He's life in and of Himself? Because the, the bush burns and yet is not consumed. God fuels the fire by Himself. He just is. He doesn't need anything else to be added to Him. He exists in and of Himself. And therefore, He exists outside of time. He declares in Exodus 3 and 14, I am. He simply is the great God. Self-existent, eternal, infinite in life. Time, what does time bring us? It brings us limitations. It binds us. But if God, if God is... If God is not outside of time, then He exists moment by moment. If He's not outside of time, He exists moment by moment. And that means He exists in a succession of time. And that means that He is limited by it, but also that He would have the potential to change. If God exists moment by moment, just like we do, He would have what we say is potential, potential to change. And yet, what do we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? He cannot change. He has no potential of change. He exists outside of time. Now, these things are are difficult, but we're we're going to come very soon to relief as we start to uh, apply these things. But the conclusion is this, If God was in time and bound by time, we would wonder, could we trust him? If he existed in time and he carried potential to change, he would be unpredictable. But that is not our God. He is sovereign over time, exists outside of time. The eternal God is our refuge. And underneath our second point or His everlasting arms. Here's the consequences of this. Here's the conclusions. Here are the the so-whats of the doctrine of God being eternal. And the first one that I want us to look at is this judgment. Because God being eternal is is both the best news in all the world, but it's also some of the worst news in all of the world, depending on what side you fall. So look at Psalm ninety. And verse 9. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? The eternal God is a great comfort to believers, but it is a great torment this morning to unbelievers. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking about this for the very first time, let's, let's connect the dots. If God is eternal, meaning that He will always be, and if we will pass away, our de- days will, will pass away, Psalm 90 tells us that then we will one day stand before the judge, and if we stand before the judge, there's going to be a conclusion, a verdict pronounced over our lives, each of us. No one gets a pass, and so we stand before an eternal God, and the verdict is either going to be, depart from me because I never knew you, or he's going to throw his arms open wide, and he's going to take us to himself and there we will be with him forever. Now, if he says the first, depart from me, for I never knew you. Perhaps in our, in our fallen minds, in our earthly brains that we have, we think, okay, that's going to be bad, but it'll only be bad for a while. Things in this earth, no matter how bad they are, there's, there's always little glimmers of hope, isn't there? There's always little glimmers of life. No matter how hard it rains, even in Northern Ireland, there's a little bit of blue sky that eventually comes. And so, we we do this thing where we try to airbrush what hell is going to be like and what punishment under an eternal God is going to be like. And we think to ourselves, if you're anything like me, that whenever I was younger, I thought if I should ever end up in hell, that I'll treat it like I treat the clown at junior high school. In that, bear with me, in that, whenever I got the clowner, you realize that there's a, a, a power structure, an authority structure, a- and you realize that they have things like form captains and librarians and prefects, and you think that you can climb the scale. So what you do is that you, you behave yourself whenever you go into the classroom, and you sit really well. And therefore, the teacher rewards you with a little badge, and things get better, and you get more privileges. And for some reason, I, I, I don't think I'm alone in this. We, we do that with hell, don't we? We think I'll I, I, I'll I'll come alongside Satan and his demons, and and I'll I'll be I'll be the best, and that means I'll I'll get more privileges. And, and it'll not really be that bad. It'll be bad for a year or two, but then I'll work myself up and things will be okay. Verse 11, "'Who considers the power of your anger?' and your wrath according to the fear of you. Listen, whenever it comes to this determination upon your life and you face an eternal God, there is no climbing the scale. There's no way of making it better for yourself. The the truth of an eternal God means that you will be under His wrath forever. And each day will be as bad as the one before. And no day will be better. And there will be no end in sight. Day after day, after day, after day, after day of punishment. And I don't say that this morning to, to scare people. It's, it's not to, to try and manipulate anyone. It's simply the truth of what the Scriptures teach us about an eternal God and the consequences of living your life separate and in rebellion to this eternal God. So where do you stand this morning? Have you decided to ignore him? Live your life in your own way? Because here's the reality. Jesus in the Bible speaks more about hell than anyone else does. God's Son sent as a messenger to us to save us, to rescue us, to proclaim the good news, and he talks about hell more than anyone else and he does so unashamedly and uh, and unembarrassed, he never hesitates to warn his listeners of the eternal wrath to come. Because Jesus knows what's in store. He's the judge. He's the one who will exercise the judgment. And for those who hear about his good news, who look at the judge as it were in the eye and see him with his extended hand and his invitation and then reject them. Verse 12, teach us, Lord, teach us to number our days, so we may get a heart of wisdom. What's the psalmist asking? Lord, help us to see these things. Teach us to see that our lives are brief. Teach us to see what things are important. Teach us to to fear you in a godly way. Again, to lean on Stephen Charnock, who has an amazing essay on God being eternal, he says this. He says, how dreadful is it to lie under the stroke of an eternal God. How dreadful. His eternity is as great terror to him that hates him as it is a comfort to him that loves him. Friends, if you have not trusted Christ this day, this should be a great terror to you. Eternal judgment is your destiny, and that judge will live forever, and there's no end in sight, no day of mercy, no reprieve, no end to your misery. And so God's eternal nature should strike fear into each of us. But praise God, that's not where the story ends. There is judgment, but then there's also great blessing. What a source of joy this morning, for you, if you are a Christian, to know that God is eternal. And just like all of the things that we have said about His judgment, well, the opposite is true. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, says Jesus, I will come again and take it to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where, where He is and where we will be with Him is eternal joy at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so, just as we thought about with the the strange view of hell, so it is with the, the strange view of heaven. Because we're Northern Irish, and so often what do we have in our minds? Well, we often have a negative outlook, don't we? And so we think, well, we hear someone preaching about heaven, and we think, well, that'll be really good for a day or two, <laughs> and then, then the, the sort of the shine will start to come off it. It, it, it can't be as good as what they say it is. Surely it couldn't be. We always go to the negative if we were, and if there's any American brothers and sisters with us this morning, you're, you're so much more positive than what we are. <laughs> we're, we're, we're negative in our outlook, but this is great news. God is eternal, and there's joy for us, all joy for us forevermore in the presence of our Savior. Let's, let's not get heaven and the, the life and the age to come out, out of kilter. What do I mean by that? Recently, we've, we've, we've probably heard lots of people talk about heaven and the things that will happen in heaven and what it will be like, and that's really good to think about. But let's not forget about the one who it's all about, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Jesus. If someone offered you a new earth where everything was made perfect, but Jesus wasn't there, would you want it? No, we wouldn't. Give me Jesus. And we get to enjoy him for all eternity. There we will work and, and play and, and have fun, but we will have him. It will be him who we are with forever. And that's his promise, isn't it? John three sixteen, that famous verse, those who believe in me will have eternal life. You will be with me in my presence forevermore. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that the perishable, this, this mortal body that the psalmist tells us is blown away like dust. This mortal body will put on immortality. The perishable will put on the imperishable. You see, the God who is not like us, yet loves us and draws us into relationship with Him. The benefits that we have in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, our whole Godhead, our triune God, is eternal. This is a slight aside, but there are those in this world who will try to say that the Son is not eternal, that Jesus is not eternal, that there was a day whenever Jesus did not exist, and that is not Christian doctrine. He is eternally begotten. He has existed for as long as the Father has existed outside of time. They have always been. They have not been separate. And so as we think about this, as we, as we start to start to let the, 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 the honey of this, as it were, seep down into our souls, into our minds, and into our hearts, it should, it should start to fire us up that our God is eternal and that we will enjoy Him forevermore. He has made an everlasting covenant with His people. He has made known to us the path of life. And Psalm 16 says there is pleasure forevermore So this should give us great confidence. The outworking of this all, the ultimate conclusion is that we should have great confidence as Christian people to know that today, whatever, whatever comes into our lives, that we will one day be with our Savior forever. And forever means forever. We will be with the eternal God. He is our refuge. That, that, that sense in Deuteronomy, that, that word for refuge is uh, almost like the, the word for a den where, where foxes run into. You know how they run in there for safety? That we, we run to our everlasting God, the one who, who, who prepares a safe place for us. He is our refuge. It's a den for us to go to, into His arms. And then underneath, he carries us. His, his everlasting arms are there for us. What great news in the face of suffering, in the face of trial, that the eternal God exists outside of time, that He cannot change, and that He loves us. He has made His promises to us and he will follow them through. What he has declared in all eternity remains firm, and it will come to pass. And so what do we know? We know this, that from eternity past, from before time began, that God knew you, Christian. He knew you by name. He knew each and everything about you and he set his love upon you from way back outside of time. And whatever it is that you're going through right now, whatever struggles, whatever trials, whatever difficulty, whatever pain, whatever anxiety it is that that grips your heart, and for each of us here, I'm sure there's something, and you feel like you're going to throw it all away, I can't do this anymore, I'm done with Christianity. I'm, I'm going to throw the towel in. Maybe you feel like this is your last week that you'll come along to church. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are His everlasting arms. He's loved you from eternity past. He loves you right now and He holds you securely. And He will love you all the way home. And then He will love you for evermore. You see how this doctrine lifts us, it takes us, and brings us up in praise. As I've thought about this, this well, it's been for two weeks now, but as I've thought about it, it's, it's the best news to know the eternal God, to understand that His love and His grace and His mercy will not end and to know that His wrath will not end as Christians, that He will exercise justice against our enemies, that He will be forever. Again, one last quote from Charnock. He says this, Our happiness cannot perish as long as He lives. Isn't that wonderful? Our happiness caught up in God being eternal, and our happiness cannot perish as long as He lives. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone because I know that He holds the future, and life is worth the living just because He lives. This is our God. Let's praise Him today. Let's pray for a moment.